Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, the podcast where we watch movies and talk about them. Unlike the other podcasts you'll find on the internet. That's a third of podcasts. No, no, we invented this. This is is our idea. (laughs) To talk about movies and podcasts. Uh, we, we thought that if we took a portmanteau of iPod and broadcast and mashed them together, we could call them... Broad pods. Uh, this is Critically Reclaimed. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, we're uh, we're trucking back to 1990. Yeah, this is real exciting. So every week, or eh, two weeks, because this movie is really long and it was difficult to fit into our schedule, uh, but uh, every episode of Critically Reclaimed, we like to take a deep dive into the catalogs on various streaming services. Not the new stuff, not the new releases, not the original content. The stuff that, you know, is from... Many years prior, sometimes many, many years, sometimes mm-hmm. just a few. But uh, regardless, these these streaming services are a great opportunity for us to explore film history. Sometimes their catalogs aren't good enough to learn a lot about film history, but there's always something to find. And so yeah. every single episode of Critically Reclaimed, before we do it, we put a poll up on our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. You pick a streaming service. You pick usually a category. Sometimes if a streaming service is small or niche enough, we don't bother with that. Mm. But uh, usually it's a category, a decade or a filmmaker or a genre. Uh, and then we put four films up there, two of which Whitney hasn't seen, two of which I haven't seen. And we let our patrons decide. We never let you know which is which either. Now, sometimes we, we're we not subtle about it when we introduce them on the podcast, like mm. saying, here what the nominees are next time. But no, the you're not supposed to know that. Um, and uh, this time we decided to go a hunting. Uh, for uh, some various, it was dramas on Netflix, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, just just drama. Yeah, which in in, in every film a drama. I've always always taken comedies. Comedy is kind of the antithesis of, of of drama, right? Other dramedies, but if you're a, if like Duck Soup wasn't a drama, right? I, it's a wartime drama. Is it really? <laughs> uh, drama is a word I've always associated with uh, story, a yeah. drama, like in the theatrical sense. So seeing drama as a category at, like at your local video store seemed incredibly vague to yeah. me. It, it essentially just meant too old for you, child, well, uh, who it, is wandering through horror sections and comedy sections. For a long time, theater uh, mm-hmm. has been sort of... Uh, the. the the imagery we associate with theater are the comedy mask and the tragedy mask. Right. Uh, sort of a, a yin and yang. Like, you know, you can't have one without the other. But also the idea that there are some stories, some plays, or some movies in this case, that are meant to be just purely entertaining. Ha <laughs> ha! And there are others that are meant to really one, get you down and make you think about stuff. One, oh, one, no. one to get you to, to I guess, uh, maybe... Feel things. Uh, uh, Lighten you up or to get you to ponder uh, other feelings. But in any case, we picked a a variety of films in sort of the uh, dramatic section of Netflix. And the film that won 
And there was some controversy over this because some people aren't a fan of this movie, and with for reasons we will discuss. Uh, but uh, it's a significant film in terms of uh, sort of its place in film history. It is a significant film in the history of the Academy Awards because it's one of those movies that won Best Picture, and everyone at home knew that was not the best picture. Uh, we're going to be talking about Kevin Costner's Oscar-winning Western epic, Dances with Wolves. Just here that you've been decorated, and they sent you here to be posted. Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. There ain't nothing here, Lieutenant. Everybody's run off or got killed. What about Indians? Dances with Wolves came out in 1990, uh, and it was... It was a smash hit. It was huge. Yeah. This was a gigantic... And this was at a time... Dances with Wolves, and we'll talk all about it, but Dances with Wolves, when it came out in 1990, Westerns were considered dead. Like they are now. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of people consider them they, dead now. They, they've but, been dead a long time. Yeah. It's it's not so... Like, they still come out. Yeah. You're going to see Westerns every year, but mm. it doesn't command the kind of attention that it did mm. in, like, the 1950s. It doesn't feel... Which was feel, kind of the, the heyday yeah. uh, in the United States of the genre. And it doesn't really feel like they're really driving popular culture in the way that they did when yeah. Gunsmoke was on television, yeah. when Sergio Leone was deconstructing the genre. So, at the time, uh, when... Uh, Kevin Costner wanted to not only star in but direct this like big giant western epic. No one was interested. It, was, it took him a really long time to get it made, and then turned mm-hmm. out people were interested. Kevin Costner was a huge star. The movie is a handsome production, and it was a gigantic smash success. And it became only the second film in the history of the Academy Awards to win Best Picture for and and being a western. Mm. There was the film Cimarron, which is one of the first films ever to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. I think it was like third or fourth. And then you waited about 60 years. To get to Dances with Wolves. To get to the next Western. And then it'd be like another two years before Unforgiven. And then we haven't had one since. Uh, C'est la vie, I suppose. Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah, Westerns were considered, they were considered dead. Mm. And so there was a little bit of novelty to uh, Dances with Wolves. Mm -hmm. Uh, in uh, kind of how uncaricaturized it was. This mm. was not a deconstructed Western. This mm. was a little bit more classical. In many respects. Uh, yeah. Although it it did sort of take story the storytelling of the Western to a much broader extent. Uh, and yeah. it was a, a much more emotional film than uh, Westerns were. Because you saw a lot of odors. There were like a, a lot of adventure pictures. Mm-hmm. A lot, of, were, re- a lot of really macho, masculine films. Yeah. Dance with Wolves is more romantic. It's, it's a far more it's gentle more, film. It's yeah. more th- it's, it, it is, in many respects, a very gentle movie. Um, but in any case, uh, uh, and we'll talk it, about the, the various criticisms lobbed at it, which are very, very fair, but... Um, although it was reasonably well respected when it came out, uh, the general consensus was it was nominated against Goodfellas, mm. and it won. This is one of those like all time, and this kind of just tainted its legacy mm. for like again beyond the co- the quality of the film. Like people just like roll their eyes at Shakespeare in Love because it beat Saving Private Ryan. Mm. People roll their eyes at The King's Speech because it beat The Social Network. People roll their eyes at How Green Was My Valley because it beat Citizen Kane. 
those are all pretty good movies, actually. Some mm. of them are actually legitimately great. Uh, um, but the Goodfellas is just this towering cinematic achievement, and Dances with Wolves is this like earnest, almost mm. naive western in a yeah. lot of ways. And it just they don't really compare very well. Although at the time it was considered, it wasn't. It's it's sort of um, I don't want to describe it as saccharine, but it is a very sentimental mm-hmm. picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it is also loaded with uh, all kinds of horrendous violence and and a great deal of sadness as well. Agreed. Uh, the film made, and this is nineteen ninety dollars, one hundred eighty four million dollars worldwide. That's a lot of the. That's three hundred and seventy seven. I just put it into yeah. an inflation calculator. That's three hundred seventy seven million. In 2021 dollars. And it's, again, it's worth remembering, movies didn't use to make a billion dollars. That was really good. That was the 17th highest grossing film of that year. People just went to movies more back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, do you remember what the, the highest grossing film of 1990 was? 1990. Would that have been Ghost? It was Ghost. Yeah. Ghost was the highest grossing film that year. Ghost kicks ass. Made $205 million in $1990. Ghost um, is a good movie, Dan. Ghost is good. Uh, number yeah. number two was Pretty Woman. Yeah. Number yeah. three was Home Alone. Yep. Uh, number four was the Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. That, was, that was a big hit. Number five, year. The Hunt for Red October. Huge movie. Uh, number six was Total Recall. Mm-hmm. Number seven was Die Hard 2. Makes sense. Uh, number eight was Driving Miss Daisy. Wow. Mm. Which is weird because technically they came out in 89, but, but it came it, out like at the end of the year, so it made over. most of its money in uh, And number 10 was Back to the Future Part 3. Wow. So, Another Western. There you go. High-grossing <laughs> 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 Western. 90s. Good year Sci- for Western. Science fiction Western. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah uh, this idea that uh, a, a one particular genre or one even particular series of films dominates the box office is an incredibly new idea. Yeah, there's always a couple of sequels that did well. And, yeah, like Back to the Future yeah. and Die Harder in there. And, yeah. uh, James Bond always did well whenever James Bond yeah, came to- out, but they weren't like the same yeah. movie franchise every year dominating the box office. That yeah, wasn't Total, Total Recall is a science fiction action picture, but... It's also it's, a Schwarzenegger movie. It's a Schwarzenegger movie. It's also really strange. That's, that's, that is, <laughs> I still say that's Schwarzenegger's best film. I think <laughs> of, it, of his action pictures, probably. I, I yeah. think in general, but I digress. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, Dances with Wolves comes out against this big, giant landscape. A pretty good year for cinema, mm-hmm. all things considered. Uh, and it's considered a bit of a vanity project by Kevin Costner. It ended up going extremely over budget. He had to actually put up a lot of the money by himself. Um, and, uh, yeah, and he stars in it as well. And a lot of the movie is just him against the planes. And, it's uh, like, it's a very, and I say this and I don't necessarily mean anything negative by it. It's a very self-centered movie. I was watching this with, uh, my, with my partner, M. Lampas da Silva. And, uh, you know, it's a movie that, that, you know, they watched in like their, uh, their, their household, like their parents were a fan. Mm. And they, they brought up such a great point about this movie. It's that this movie is a love story, but the love story is mostly between Kevin Costner and the American frontier. Yeah, well, that's it's, what it is. Like he's he's in love Kevin with Costner, like the, the pastoral America. Agree. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Costner loves pastoral America. Mm. He loves the plains. He loves the buffalo, and a lot of the film's dramatic naivete and some of the the flaws in the dramatic makeup is that he seems to associate uh, the uh, Native American people mm. with the land. Yeah, and that's something that. To him, I think he he sees that as this pure nobility, and but it's also a little simplistic as well. And 
that gets into some really uh, uh, really complex territory in yeah. terms of the um, way that this movie treats uh, uh, First the, Nation the, people. The Lakota yeah. people, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Pawnee. The, the Lakota and the Pawnee are, are the ones uh, centered on that, and the Sioux as well. Yeah. Uh, this is a... Uh, it, it It's... It takes place sort of out in the frontier, mm-hmm. but and it's very much about this affection for the frontier. But Kevin Costner is not giving us a stylized version of the frontier. No, the filmmaking, uh, even though it takes place sort of out in in the plains, uh, doesn't have that sort of eye grabbing. Um, cinematic quality that you see from a lot of other westerns that are are really sort of centered on uh, landscapes Mm -hmm. and certain kinds of aesthetics and I feel like this is a lot more it's like a lot less detailed Mm. it's a little bit more it's not looking for the perfect backdrop all the time there's a couple of really amazing second unit shots that are just uh, jaw dropping Mm. but mostly fields it's it's yeah it's it's fields he's it's uh, Kevin Costner as a director is a much more uh, efficient filmmaker he's not going for flash which is you say uh, that his movies are like three hours long almost every time. I, I'm just talking visually. Okay, fair enough. Just want to just want to clarify. I don't think anyone can look at the postman and say what an efficient film. I, I'm talking about just sort of his his visual okay. aesthetic, the way he frames right. up shots uh, aren't so artificial yeah. as maybe some a western made today. Yeah, Th- think of any western made in the last like five or six years, mm-hmm. and you'll notice that it is uh, typically speaking incredibly stylized. Something like the remake of Three Ten to Yuma. Yeah. That's an action film. Yeah, very like, good. Fr- action framing film, up all yeah. these shots, and there's all these like cool shootouts, yeah. and it's really kind of high energy. Or you go for something a little bit more contemplative, something like The Proposition, which mm-hmm. is all you know, dra- like weird colors and you know, all more these, expressionistic. Yeah, exactly. Ways, yeah. um, there's no expressionism in Dances with Wolves. No, it is. It's it is just literal. yeah. The the frontier. I think as Kevin Costner saw it, and it, he mm-hmm. just sort of wanted to film the natural world. Right. Let's talk about the plot real fast. Let's give people a baseline here. So Kevin Costner uh, plays a soldier in the Civil War, and at the beginning of the movie. Uh, he's about to have his leg sawn off uh, mm. because he was in a battle and his leg got injured. And, and he, they don't want the they don't want the gangrene to get him. Yeah, and he uh, he he overhears this, and then the the surgeon, uh, who I believe is actually played by Kevin Costner, and like the body of Kevin Costner is played by a body double. So oh, yeah. Kevin Costner is like plays two characters. It's kind of funny, but um, okay. uh, he, Kevin he, Costner played a corpse in The Big Chill. That's true. He was, he was the he dead was good friend. at it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but anyway, I digress. The doctor just like, ah, eh, we're just gonna cut off his leg anyway. Let's go get some coffee. And Kevin mm-hmm. Costner, the, the the near corpse, wakes up. And he's like, I don't. I would rather die than let this like than just be you know have my bits cut off. Mm-hmm. So he in a well, fit of in a fit of uh, almost self destructive heroism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're currently uh, uh, there are two lines. The the his, the, 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 the union and the confederacy the, and there's a big gap yeah. in between the two of them and, and no just one's wide enough that the yeah. bullets can't reach the other side yeah but they're 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 everyone's very trigger happy and no mm. one's no one's really eager to just jump over the other side and like risk their lives so he grabs a horse and just runs in front of the enemy mm. holding his arms out basically just saying kill me just yeah, kill is, me. I don't well, you, care anymore. You say it's I'm this, dead. This act of heroism. No, 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 no. Was, I said it's it's self destructive heroism. Like uh, he will do something that will like maybe help the battle, but it's all because he just wants to die. Hmm. And yeah. he miraculously he, he is, they can't he is, they can't hit him with the. Apparently they suck over there. Hmm. They can't hit the side of a barn, but, and hmm. he just is miraculously unhurt. So he is considered a wartime hero, even though he was just trying to die. Um, 
here's what I appreciate the most about Dances with Wolves. Uh, it's uh, just sort of its non-glorification of the Civil War. Yes. Uh, he, he plays a Union soldier. The Confederacy is depicted as these trigger-happy assholes. And the Union is depicted as trigger-happy assholes. Yep. And being part of war leads to suicidal behavior. The, yep. There's just nothing but despair in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And indeed... Nothing good comes of it whatsoever. Uh, yeah, and he, he goes on this suicide... I mean, the run, war itself, yeah. obviously the Union was on the right side mm-hmm. of that conflict. That's that's not yeah. there. I'm talking about the actual act of war mm-hmm. damages the soul. Yeah, yeah. so he, he goes on this suicide run, essentially, mm-hmm. survives, and is hailed as a hero because that allowed the Union to jump mm-hmm. the line and, and get some yeah. Confederate soldiers. And I love, the, is, I love the bit, like, right uh, after that, where he's like, oh, you, you did it, son. You broke through the line, and you got us over that hill, and we got to uh, stop all those guys. And he's like, yeah, they were going to cut my leg off. And the rich, like, general is just like, well, let's get him a good doctor. And even then, (laughs) the wealthy had better health care. Damn it. And then in uh, an incredibly striking scene, I remember seeing this film when it came out. I was 12 when this movie came out. So um, my parents took me to see Dances with Wolves when I was 12. And I remember all of it. Like, it really stuck in my head. Yeah. Uh, He then goes to see uh, Maury Chaykin. Well, he's he's Uh, offered any post he wants. That's his reward. And he chooses to go as far out into the frontier as possible. He doesn't want to be around any people anymore. He's mm. sick of them. And he's he reports to Murray Jagan. Murray Jagan, who is sadly no longer with us, one of the great character actors. He's great in everything. Mm. Uh, I don't. I have, a, I have a really wonderful audio recording of yeah. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where it's narrated by Harry Dean Stanton, Ooh. but Raoul Duke is played by Murray Jagan. Wow, and, that's amazing. And, and Doctor Gonzo is played by Jim Jarmusch. So. What the- <laughs> <laughs> That's the best cast ever. Yeah, it's, and it's just the three of them reading the the like excerpts from. Do you the still text. have that? Yeah, I still have it. I want to borrow that sometime. Absolutely, I would love to listen to that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's just that this about the time um, Terry Gilliam's movie version of it yeah, came out, yeah. they put out this CD. It's so cool. Harry Dean Stanton, Maury Chaykin, and Jim Jarmusch reading from Fear and Loathing. So anyway, Kevin Costner reports but to Maury Chaykin. He reports and- to Maury Chaykin, and Maury Chaykin, uh, he's like. Hi, Muckety Muck. He's the one who could assign Kevin Costner to this distant outpost. Mm-hmm. And he is mad. He's gone in, in, in the classical literary yeah, sense. Like he an is mad. Poe yeah. mad. Yeah. And uh, he, he's sort of like giggling to himself. We we don't know what's going on in his head. We never find out what's up with him. Yeah. We don't know if he's <laughs> if he's seen some shit or if he's got given to substance abuse. We don't know what's going on. We know he's not all there. Mm. And <laughs> this he sends Kevin Costner on his way. He writes him a letter to like, you're going to go to this outpost and this letter will get you there. There's nowhere to go. He's going <laughs> to, he's riding like 20 miles across nothing mm. to an empty outpost. He doesn't need a fucking letter. And then he leaves and Maury Chagan like gives him like a salute and he's like, yeah, okay, great. And then as he's like riding out of the town. No, as, as, as he's leaving the room, first of all, yeah. Tr- Maury Chagan stands up, looks down at his lap and says, I've pissed my pants, and nobody can do anything about it. <laughs> War makes you mad. There's, there's a, yeah. almost like a, a an apocalypse now feeling to those early scenes. Yeah, I appreciate that. Although Kevin Costner is eager to romanticize the frontier, he's not romanticizing colonialism. Yeah, at all. Yeah. And that's that's definitely a mission statement, and I think that mm-hmm. resonates. Uh, whatever the rest of the movie's failings are, the the, the message the, the, is pretty the, clear. The, the nobility of the message yeah. is it's actually very anti-colonialist, and yeah. I can admire that. Yeah, I, I definitely admire what I, he's doing. I think to it's hard to, that part of its heart is in the, is mm-hmm. in the right place. He uh, he ends up traveling to this outpost where 
it's almost like the thing where like <laughs> they it's follow like one a, ramshackle building and nothing. He's they, driven there by his, like well, some it's kooky the, old coach it's driver. The, it's the part of the thing where like okay, so at the beginning of the John Carpenter is the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, someone is like hunting a wolf or like a, it's a dog, but like a, it's dogs actually half wolf mm-hmm. uh, in reality. Uh, uh, but but they, I digress. Both, it, it, both genus Canis. Genus yeah, Canis. Yeah. Anyway, uh, someone from like another Antarctic outpost is hunting a dog, and that's very mysterious and weird, and they don't know what the hell is going on. So the um, people at the American outpost travel to this other outpost to see what happened, and what happened. Something really fucking horrible happened. There are charred corpses, mutilated skin, and like no one knows what the hell. It's kind of like that. (laughs) Just something really bad happened here, but everyone's dead. There's nothing. This this is all like the first hour of the movie is him like experiencing all this war and essentially like discovering the world in ruin. Everything is time is out of joint. Uh, yeah. with, with Dances with Wolves. And I love all of the foreboding as he sort of goes out into the frontier. Yeah. And as he stays out in the frontier, peace settles over the movie. Yeah. Uh, the wolf that's following him, he decides to give a name because yep. it just sort of keeps chasing him around a little bit. Two socks because he's socks. got two white paws. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, I forgot the name of his horse, but his horse oh, is, is very it, smart. Is it, um, it's like Cisco or something? I want to look that up. Totally, yeah, I, I forgot the name of the horse. I want to say Comet, but that was Briscoe yeah, County Jr. That's totally wrong. Uh, but it's yeah, Cisco. It is Cisco. It's Cisco. Okay. The horse, and that's the horse that actually he rode into battle. Yeah, uh, and the horse is like, I like, like that even un- later un- in the movie, unbelievably even, intelligent. Even yeah. the Lakota are just like he's just some dumb white guy with a smart horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the horse is weirdly yeah. smart. Like that's the thing. So he's just doing his business. He's just cleaning up the fort, going on patrols that mean mm. nothing, and then eventually uh, he realizes that he's not alone out there, and uh, the Lakota have actually set up. It's never entirely clear how far away it is, but it's a it's at least a few hours ride. Yeah, like they're neighbors, but they're not going to run into each other every day. Um, and um, they're both very suspicious of each other because the Lakota are understandably not happy with white people. And Kevin Costner is mm. all alone out there, and he doesn't know what anyone else wants. Mm. One thing I I really like about this movie. There's a lot to like about this movie. There's a lot to not like about this oh, movie. We'll get into it's that. Actually, but it's, this is like pre- yeah. pretty impeccable Hollywood entertainment. In terms of in terms of production value alone, mm. this is a very strong movie. I think Kevin Costner is a very natural storyteller when it comes to mm. uh, think... his shot placement and his editing, uh, or the editing that you know his editor gives him. But regardless, he that's his vision. Uh, he's also not afraid to take the piss out of himself. He gets knocked unconscious a lot. Yeah, he, he's, he's his own. He's his own comic relief. He's not interested in heroism, and that's yeah. the like. Well, he's interested in heroism, but heroism that springs from doing the right thing and doing a noble thing, not just yeah. doing the strong thing. Yeah, it's not war for its own sake. Yeah, it's not yeah, war for um, principles. It's if you're if you have to mm, fight someone, it's because it's you or them. But uh, yeah, once once he's been out there and he's been narrating the movie for a while and. The worst part of this movie is Kevin Costner's narration because he's just asleep he's, in the recording booth. He has no inflection to his voice. No, it's like reading. It's, a, it's like listening to a bad book on tape. He's yeah, just, he's yeah. He's like he got his cues from Harrison Ford in the in the uh, theatrical cut of Blade Runner. Oh, and he, and wasn't he like deliberately trying to sabotage the voiceover? That's in that? the story. Like, I don't know how true that is. The story is uh, uh, the when Blade Runner was first made. The studio thought it was a little too enigmatic, and so they wanted to, A, tack on a happy ending, which they did, and B, have Harrison Ford add a sort of uh, film noirish kind of mm. uh, uh, voiceover, 
Not a, not a bad idea. I don't. I think it's fine. I, I, I think don't think it's, it's fine. The uh, reason I don't think it's fine, a because of uh, Ford's performance. And I'll explain that in a second. But um, also because the narration that they added is all superfluous. Mm. It doesn't contribute anything. It doesn't add anything that we can't see. It's literally explaining what's on screen right now. If you're half paying attention, you know what he's saying anyway. Mm. It doesn't matter. Like, it's hard to do voiceover because voiceover, if it's extraneous, if it's not contributing something that we're not already getting, yeah. it tends to be pretty pointless. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, the, my, my advice to anybody, if you want to, like, learn how to, like, write voiceover that really contributes to the story is study Veronica Mars. <laughs> like, the first season of Veronica Mars, just watch it. You'll yeah, get so yeah. much, so many good tips on how to use voiceover correctly. But... Um, um, but, but uh, where was I going with this? Well, oh, but the Harrison Ford, allegedly he didn't like the idea of the voiceover, and he acted badly to intentionally torpedo it so they wouldn't use it, but then they use it anyway. But, yeah, that's, that might okay, be apocryphal. I, I, that's probably apocryphal. Yeah. Um, just because his, his, uh, the reading is a little odd. He seems like out of he's character. He's so tired. Uh, he looks like he's about, he sounds like he's half asleep the entire time. Uh, but yeah, the, the worst part of this movie is Kevin Costner. <laughs> just Kevin Costner's performance in general. But he's okay. The, the, the voiceovers but... in, in particular. Yeah, but uh, we, yeah. we get to know um, the local Lakota yeah. who are living in this same uh, area. Mm-hmm. And, and this was novel uh, for a Western. We got to know each one of the Lakota characters as individuals yeah. and lived with them for a long time. I, and even though there's a lot of controversy as to the accuracy of the language, mm-hmm. there was a lot of this in Lakota and in Pawnee. Yeah. So, so again, at the, at the time, mm. not a lot of Westerns would have, if they had a Native American character, they had one or two. Mm. Here, they, you get an entire ensemble cast, and everyone's really, really good in it. Graham Greene got an Oscar nomination for this. He deserved it. He's great. Graham, Graham Greene is, he's a treasure. He's so great. Like, I love when he shows up in anything. He, he yeah. uh, A couple years later, he would do sort of like a send-up of Indian characters uh, in the movie Maverick. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, like, he was a little bit, like, he had some business savvy and he had, like, a sense of humor. Um, I was introduced to him yeah. in this HBO movie, uh called The Last of His Tribe, mm. uh, which was a biopic of uh, Ishii, who was uh, uh, believed to be the last member of his uh, people. And mm. he was the only person who knew anything about his culture and about how lonely that was and how, like, you know, people were, like... It was almost... It was, people were, like, studying him and he was, mm. like, you know, invited to, like, colleges and things. But, yeah, it, he was great. Mm. Uh, really wonderful performance in that movie. If you haven't seen Last of His Tribe, he's really, really great in it. Um... So we got him. We got Rodney A. Grant as Wind in His Hair, who was the sort of He's like the hothead of yeah, the, the, the. He just wants to charge in and hurt people. Yeah, the, the young teenager who's got like a lot to prove kind of vibe, uh, but who actually does like become wiser and more gentle as the story mm-hmm. goes on. Uh, you got the great Floyd Red Crow Westerman as Chief Ten Bears, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you've also got Mary McDonnell, and that is an interesting choice because the idea is. Kevin Costner is trying to communicate with the Lakota and vice versa, mm. but aside from maybe getting a few nouns here or there, they're not really communicating. Yeah, uh, there's, and- there's a another one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when. Um, it's when uh, Graham Greene and Kevin Costner are sitting across from each other, and they're trying to suss out the word for uh, buffalo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is bison, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, great North American bison, and they figure out the word. 
Yeah. And and it's like this wonderful breakthrough moment. We communicated. We know what this word we, is. We have one thing one that we word. can also say. <laughs> I, I get it now. And there's something kind of... It's it's, it's a nice bit of acting, actually. Um, but it turns out that uh, Mary McDonnell... And if, you're not, if you don't know the name... First off, you should. She's an incredible actor. She's in Passion Fish. She was in uh, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. She was in Sneakers, one of the yeah. best movies ever made. She's uh, really good to see, and she was even in Independence Day. Oh yeah, she was the she was the first lady, wasn't she? Mm. Um, anyway, wonderful actor, one of my favorites. Uh, she plays uh, stands with a fist, and she is a uh, a young girl whose family was killed on the frontier, and the Lakota took her in, mm-hmm. and she's been living with them since she was very, very small and hasn't spoken English in probably yeah, at least was, 20 years. She was like three or four when, when yeah. she was taken in. But she she did speak it a little when she was a kid, and so Graham Greene is like, well, you know more than I do, so, yeah, so like, would you please talk to this white man? <laughs> because like, we're having real trouble here. We're trying to talk to him, we're trying to, he, he seems... Better than most, but we don't know what we don't know why he's here. We don't know if more of them are coming. We need to be able to talk to him. And and uh, yeah, all the discussions are: who is this guy? What are his intentions? And most importantly, are there more coming? Yeah. Uh, The local Lakota are in a bit of a crisis. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's a a bison shortage in their area because uh, settler white settlers have been charging through and just slaughter overhunting. Yeah. Slaughtering more than they need, uh, like taking the skin and just because the skin was the most valuable part. And then leaving, and leaving, the, rest, leaving the rest. Which is which, which is everyone else would use. Mm-hmm. There's a ton. There's meat. There's bone. Yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff that's really, really useful. There's, uh, and and there's, there's, there's stories there's, about like, you know, people like who are like on trains and they would see like bison on the train and they just pull out their guns and shoot them. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't they couldn't even grab them. No, there were just so many of them. That people thought nothing of it, and then mm. they hunted them damn near well, to you, extinction, didn't they? You can see those attitudes in a movie like King Kong. Yeah. It's like all of these you know, colonialists are charging into the jungle. Oh, look, there's a dinosaur. And the, first the first dinosaur they, a human has seen. never seen a dinosaur. Let me hunt it. The first thing they do is shoot it, and mm. it's a stegosaurus. <laughs> it's a poor stegosaurus. And you, and I love They're the act. A, Gordon I, Willis acts the hell out of that stegosaurus. Uh, like He doesn't look dangerous. He's like, ooh, what are you guys? Hey! Hey, I always felt bad for that Stegosaurus. That poor Stegosaurus. That poor Stegosaurus. Um, I love him so much. The the lesson we've learned about uh, biodiversity and ecology comes from the dodo bird. Yeah. Uh, the dodo bird, a uh, big, dumb-looking bird. Yeah. Silly-looking thing. Yeah, adorable. Not, uh, not you know, large, yeah. uh, according like a, like a penguin, wasn't it? Like some kind of... But, you, but you, you know, like three feet tall. It's like a yeah, big yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Actually, I don't know the the, the actual Whatever, size of yeah. But yeah, giant, funny-looking hooked beak, bright-colored plumage, but the feathers weren't really good for making things out of. According to uh, reports, it didn't taste very good. Uh, it, it just sort of this big, silly bird that would run around mm-hmm. living its life. And it's extinct. Yeah, colonists just killed because, it because they could. Because colonialists murdered them all. It was yeah. the, the first recorded case of an extinction of a species by direct human involvement. Yeah. And... Uh, I bring it up because Kevin Costner knows that story, yeah. and he is interested in uh, that kind of ecology, uh, yeah. as you can see expressed in Dances with Wolves. Yeah, there's this great bit where um, Kevin Costner is at his outpost, and he happens to uh, that happens to be the path of a herd of buffalo mm. that move past him, and so he immediately gets on his horse, rides over to Lakota, and he it, it's clear he's interrupting something. Like some some big event, he's a, not supposed to be there. There's a big party. Or there's some, a big party yeah. of some kind and whatever. Like he's not welcome. You're not. You're not. We're not like that. You know. Mm-hmm. We're not like one finger wrapped around the other. Friends. We're like fingers like far away. Friends. 
that makes sense if if I'm on camera, but I realize now as I podcast, it doesn't really work. <laughs> but uh, but they're and they're initially just like, well, okay, he overstepped his bounds. Time to kill Kevin Costner. And Kevin Costner's like, wait, 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 what? What the fuck was the word for Buffalo? And he says the word for Buffalo. I'm like, oh, oh. Oh, it's they, you. Well, for, first, like, he shows up, and it's nighttime, so they yeah. can't see who it is. Yeah. And they're like, white guy, let's get him! And they all just, like, start chasing yeah. after him. They pull him off his horse and start yeah. hitting him. Because that could be anybody. Yeah, you know, don't know probably a problem. But, like, it turns out it's Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. and, and he's still not welcome right now. But because he, he knows where the buffalo are, because he's trying to tell them that, they're like, well, okay, let's saddle up. And so they go hunting the buffalo. And they're unlike, you know, the, the colonialists, they're not there to just kill them. They're there to hunt as many as they need mm. and then let the rest of them go. But there's this really tragic bit where they run across a lot of Buffalo that have been killed and only partially skinned in some cases. They didn't even take the whole, the whole skin yeah. and they're just left there rotting. Mm. And it's so and, and it, fucking this, sad. This tragic scene of, of, uh, you know, Graham Greene is just, just, they're just all looking at him and they're just yeah. sad. There's, there's, there's so there's, much there's, sadness. There's no, there's no sense to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, it's about this time in the movie where uh, the Kevin Con- I think his name is Dunbar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, John Dunbar. John Dunbar um, begins to realize I I've, I found meaning here, and yeah. the, this this is this is the life I want. These are people who share my values. Yeah, that I, mean, I I don't I don't like any of that shit. Yeah, like, I, I care about the people that I care about. I care about nature. I care about equilibrium. I don't care about war. Yeah, and, 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 uh, yeah. additionally, he's also falling in love with the Mary McDonald character. Right. Um, and she in turn is falling in love with yeah. him so, and, because they're, they're communicating the most. So they actually, to know each other. This is actually a movie where the length of it actually helps the storytelling in some ways, because, mm. because it's so damn long. By the time he's like, he's reached sort of the end of his journey. There's a whole bit where they have to fight off, uh, the Pawnee, who are uh, led by uh, the great Wes Studi. <laughs> love Wes Studi. Who was so not, much. like, as recognizable an actor when this came out. He hadn't done, like, Last of the Mohicans yet or mm. a couple of his bigger things. But he was still he still stands out. He's such a great actor. Um, and he, now, he, now he has an honorary Academy Award, and good for him. Mm. Um, he was also the Sphinx. He was. He was also the Sphinx. Was, he was also what, Sagat in Street Fighter the movie. That's right, he was. Ooh, that was he's, weird. He's, he's had a, he's had an interesting career, West Duty. Very weird. But uh, but anyway, there's the whole bit where the Pawnee are uh, going to attack the Lakota while uh, Graham Greene and many of the other men are, are away. Mm. And it's up to uh, Kevin Costner to arm all of the Lakota with all of the weapons from his fort. Oh, and uh, which uh, he, for some reason he has many. Yeah, well, he was supposed like, to, he was supposed to like stock up the place. He brought like a lot with him, oh, and okay. so but like he didn't know there was going to be no one there, mm. and uh, so he's got a lot there. He's got a lot of ammunition, and yeah, they're able to defeat the Pawnee. Um, historical accounts apparently vary uh, about uh, who was the real aggressor between the Lakota and the Pawnee, and apparently. Based on what little research I was able to do for this podcast, mm. uh, the Pawnee were probably not as like we're probably not like charging into battle killing I, everybody I, all the time yeah, like it's, I, it's there's just, a lot of history that's sort of skewed in the direction of whoever Kevin Costner is sympathizing with and unfortunately mm. while the Lakota are treated like these incredible three-dimensional like mm. you know excellent characters you know finally uh some fine drama there uh the Pawnee are treated like unfortunately the 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 enemy Native Americans from many other westerns Mm. which is a frustrating case of Costner trying to have his cake and eat it too yeah um I I, yeah uh 
and and the fact that he's willing to uh, go to war didn't sit well with me because the whole point yeah. was he was fleeing war. Yeah, war had eroded well, his soul, and uh, he has this. He has a speech or like a monologue uh, or like you know voiceover at the end mm-hmm. where he talks about how. You know, for the first time, I killed somebody and I didn't feel bad about it because this wasn't about some bullshit politics that have nothing to do with me or mm. that I don't even agree with or, or whatever. Uh, this had to do with they were going to kill people that I cared about. And that mm. was it. Yeah. And it was it was bloody, but it was simple. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. You're right. It doesn't. It's yeah. it's a weird bit of and it, it's, it's again the movie wants to have its big Western action sequence and it's going to justify it however it wants. And that's my least favorite part. Well, my my least favorite part oh, was was when when the wolf got okay. Hurt. So let me let me get to my <laughs> let me get to my point <laughs> but, here. Yeah, so yeah. the the oh, length and, of the movie. And the title of the film refers to uh, the name that the Lakota give him. which yeah. uh, he's seen this wolf has been following him around. Yeah. There's a scene where he's like trying to scare it off, but it's sort of bounding yeah. around next to him. And, and it looks he like up, he's dancing with it. Yeah. He's been playing with his pet yeah. wolf basically. And, and so they, they see him and they call him dances with wolves. Yeah. Um, the length of the movie, I think really, really helps because we're about two hours into this movie and it feels like the movie is wrapping up. Kevin Costner has found himself, hmm. found a new, uh, uh, we've, we've had an action packed climax. He's fallen in love. They're getting married. Seems like we're wrapping shit up. Mm. And they're all about to like move up stakes for the winter. We gotta we gotta find better place to live for the for the climate. Mm. And uh then he's just like, oh shit, you know what? I've been keeping a journal about all of this, and if they ever do send anyone else to that fort, mm. they can find that journal and find out everything I've been doing and possibly, you know, they're assholes, so mm. we can't let them know where we are and all of the Lakota secrets. So he's like, I'm just gonna run back home real fast. Grab that journal and come back. And he gets there, and apparently, uh, the 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 army has shown up like a day ago. Mm-hmm. Like he missed it by like just a bit. And he shows up. He's out of uniform. He's dressed like a Lakota. They immediately try to kill him on sight. Mm-hmm. And once they find out he's a white guy, they're more mad at him, and they like chain him up and mm-hmm. torture him, and they kill his horse. And for, for no good reason. No reason. And uh, and none. It's horrifying. One of the ultimate insults is he's been keeping a journal. That's where the uh, uh, narration has been coming from. And yeah. the last page of the journal, he just he professes his love for stands with a fist. Yeah. And uh, and it's used in a very profane fashion. Yeah. That, like that page. Yeah. Like he's like, oh, I have to get this journal, and they're like, oh, well, was there any journal to be found? Charles Rocket's in this, by the way. I love Charles Rocket. What a great actor, Charles Rocket. <laughs> I forgot he was in this movie. He's yeah, just, he's got a, a small a role. A he was on a Saturday Night Live. He was doing yeah. Weekend Update for a little while. He, he makes he makes a meal out of a very 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 small role. I'm mm. big fan of Charles Rocket. Um, Charles Rocket actually seems like he's like somewhat reasonable, but. Every single other person in this fort is ignorant, mm. cruel, racist, vile, hateful, greedy. All of all of the things he was Dunbar was fleeing. Every again. single thing he was fleeing. And so when when he says like, "Oh, so did we find any any journal?" and like this this one fucking piece of shit asshole just like, "Now nah, we didn't find a journal." And then it like cuts to him using the journal as toilet paper. What a fucking asshole! And then like, and then they just God. and they just destroy and they kill and they hurt the land and they hurt the animals that we've come to love, and then it all builds to more violence 
And then it builds to Kevin Costner having to make a decision about, like, I cannot live with the Lakota because now I'm a wanted man. Uh, so, and so, so I have to, to I have to, to make flee my into own the mountains, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And so he, he never quite finds the piece he's looking for, but he comes kind of close. And that's kind of the well, movie. The, it's it's um, the the, pe- the idea is that the piece was there. This nation mm. had the piece and yeah. uh, these infiltrators came in and just wrecked it. That yeah. that was that was their instinct was and, to just destroy. And if you think the ending of the movie is happy because oh good they got away, there's a title card saying thirteen years later they fucked everything up and yeah, yeah they, yeah. the whole country got fucked. So, so, uh, so this, this is about uh, the the fall of the fall of of one country and the, yeah. the sort of infiltration of another. And uh, yeah. I, I appreciate that tragic aspect. Uh, this film was very widely beloved when it came out. Mm-hmm. It got pretty much nothing but good reviews. I remember a, a, a newspaper strip of The Far Side, the Gary Larson comic strip. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Where uh, it was a meeting of the National Association of People Who Didn't Like Dances with Wolves. And <laughs> and it was like three people in this gigantic banquet hall drinking punch. Yeah. And they're saying things good. like, that thing, that stuff with the buffalo is all fake. Like, they're, they're saying like, the most inane things. <laughs> Those Everybody cool. loved Dances with Wolves. Yeah, it uh, won a lot of Academy Awards. Yeah. It won Best Sound, Best Original Score, good score, mm. Best Editing. Uh, it lost Best Costume Design, which is pretty impressive. Uh, won Best Cinematography. Uh, it won Best uh, Adapt. Yeah, I think Dick Tracy won costumes that year. Oh, was that that year? I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, it lo- it won Best Adapted Screenplay. It was based on a novel from just a few years before. Uh, yeah, but like, well, yeah, but like it, it, it beat out Goodfellas for best adapted <laughs> screenplay, which is almost more offensive than best picture. Because I, I, as there are things to admire about Dances with Wolves, it's not the greatest screenplay ever. Um, it was nominated for best supporting actress for Mary McDonnell. It was nominated for best supporting actor for Graham Greene. It was nominated for best actor for Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner won best director, hmm. and uh, and it won best picture, and it had beat out. Awakenings, which is a very well, very respectable, but not very well remembered movie. Uh, uh, very, uh, De Niro's great in that movie. De Niro's really um, good. Rob Lowe's is really good a, in that movie. A, a lot of the medicine is is yeah. a, a little dodgy, but it's an effective drama. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know, uh, Ghost, which was a runaway monster success of a motion picture. Like you cannot, if I, you weren't there, you don't understand how popular Ghost was. I, Ghost was huge. I would love to live in a world where another like supernatural romance. Can be as big a hit as good. I guess Twilight, Twi- Twilight was yeah. that hit uh, a couple of years yeah. back. But yeah. Yeah. it's been a while. Uh, been a, yeah, romance films like Pretty yeah. Woman was a big hit that year, and yeah, romances and comedies don't do yeah. the the numbers that they did back then. Uh, and then uh, Goodfellas, and this is back at that time when Martin Scorsese just couldn't catch a break at the Academy Awards. He was yeah, always yeah. making amazing movies. He never won. He didn't win anything until The Departed. Uh, it was like it was becoming a joke. It, basically, I think his, his films were, uh, I think, at the time, at least at the time, considered a little too hard edged. Yeah, they're they're incredibly violent. Yeah. Uh, they're really stylized. A they, lot of the Oscars critics, don't really award that a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, a, a lot of critics at the time. I think yeah. it wasn't until Pulp Fiction came along that yeah. that became a little bit more accepted well, in award circles. Well, one could argue that The Godfather Part One and Two were of a well, similar yeah, cloth, yeah. and the other nominee in 1990 was The Godfather Part Three. Which sucked. <laughs> I haven't seen the new cut. I hear it's better. Maybe mm. I'll, I, I mean to give it a shot. But the cut that they had in 1990, mm. that's a bad movie. I, I want... Here's here's the cut I want of The Godfather Part 3. Uh-huh. Everything is the same. Up until the point where uh, Michael says, every time they... They try, every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. And he has like a, a mild... Like, like he has mm. a, a minor heart attack in the kitchen. 
He dies in that scene, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> he tries to get out. They pull him back in. It's too much, and he dies, and yeah. we don't get to see the consequences. Oh, my God. And we don't have to spend all that time with Andy Garcia. Oh, God. Andy Garcia is... <laughs> Everyone gives uh, 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 Sofia Coppola like, a lot of crap for her performance in that movie. Uh, she was she was a young actor. She wasn't really going to go into acting. It's mm. acting was not her instrument. Uh, but uh, Andy Garcia is not good in that movie. No, like he's, he's a different film, and he was the only actor from that movie who was nominated for an Oscar that year. Hmm. That's weird. And, and Andy, you Andy that, Garcia is a pretty good actor. He's, he's pretty good. I, I loved Andy Garcia in a lot of yeah. things, but like that was not his movie. Like when you consider like who else is because there are people giving good performances in that movie. If Joe Mantegna had gotten an Oscar nomination for that movie, I would have been fine. Yeah, Val Pacino had gotten. I think he did actually, but like Pacino. Uh, no, he didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't. Pacino didn't get no a nomination. Think, no, I think I, I think Andy Garcia was the only one. I think oh, I just wow. said. Okay. I, yeah. I just said that, but let me just confirm yeah. that um, uh, because now I'm questioning what you said. Uh, no, yeah, Andy Garcia was the only nominated actor. Oh, wow, Eli okay. Wallach would have been a perfectly good nomination. It's a small role, but he's really, really good in that movie. Hell, Diane uh, Diane Keaton, good in that movie. Mm. The young actors are bad in that movie. They're so bad. But I digress. It was a weird year for Best Picture. Dances with Wolves ended up winning it. And yeah, I think because Goodfellas was so clearly this like superlative, alive, new feeling piece of cinema yeah it's a period piece but it didn't mm. really feel as like elegiac and uh beholden to cinema history as dance of the wolves was in terms of its sort of its general tone and feel mm. um immediate backlash against dance of the wolves i actually saw like a short at a film festival once and uh it was like two people talking about movies and one of them was like um what's the worst movie what's the worst best picture win ever and the guy said, Dances with Wolves. And the guy's like... Like right away, right? Like right away, Dances with Wolves. And the guy's like, oh, come on. There's so many worse movies that have won Best Picture than Dances with Wolves. And the guy's like, yeah, but none of them beat Goodfellas. <laughs> Dances with Wolves is the worst because yeah. it beat Goodfellas. And the guy's like, okay, I can't argue with that. Uh, that's um, And that's that's the general opinion now. Goodfellas mm-hmm. is the more highly regarded film now yeah. Yeah. than Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves was seen as as a, a bit a bit saccharine. A lot of people yeah. thought it was a little too sentimental. Yeah, the uh, overall depiction of Native Americans was considered uh, very positive at the time, but by some, by some, but uh, others not so much. And, uh, well, and it's and it's become this sort of uh, pattern by which uh, a lot of uh, what we call white savior movies hmm. have uh, really started patterning themselves yeah, after. Uh, there. Not not so much. Uh, this isn't so much a white savior narrative as it is um, the white man goes native uh, narrative, which is a slightly different thing. No, but I think uh, it, I think it's like this turning point, and mm. I think there's a lot of movies where you'd see something like um, any movie where a white, usually colonialist, uh, travels to another uh, nation or culture or mm. planet, uh, as sometimes happens, like in Avatar, and uh, meets a new culture. Is falls in love with that new culture mm. and proves out proves to be the greatest and the most important person who's ever been who's, in that culture. Who's, hel- who's better than them at everything? And there's um, Dance with Wolves isn't quite that, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. And but then we would get stuff like Avatar or The Last Samurai. Last another Samurai, good example yeah. of this um, as well. Yeah, there's a really clever inversion of this that actually predates Dances with Wolves called Cobra Verde. Uh, oh, made by Werner one. Herzog. Oh, okay. um, yeah, where uh, Klaus Kinski decides. 
he just sort because he's Klaus Kinski, he decides he's the savior, and yeah. he, and he says, I whips all of the the locals up into a frenzy and and gets them to yeah. attack, and of course it ends in horrendous tragedy because it's a Herzog movie, and there are antecedents to this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Harris and I think it was a man called Horse. Mm-hmm. Is that the Richard Harris one? Uh, so again, and and it's it had been done before, but this was like oh. this big giant Oscar winning thing. And sometimes it's not about being the first. Sometimes it's about being the most famous. That yeah. makes you like and, this uh, important part of like the history of a subgenre, mm-hmm. and that, that I think that's what happened with Dance of the Wolves. That um, people have asked some uh, native critics, some First Nation yeah. critics, uh, what they think of Dances with Wolves. Uh, some Lakota people. Uh, thought it was really funny that they got the language kind of wrong. Like yeah, it's, it's the language kind of is very gendered and they actually yeah. had uh, people teach the actors, the Lakota language, but they taught them the feminine version, even if they were men and they would have spoken a different version of yeah. it. So it, it wasn't, so 100... it, it came out weird. It's like, yeah. a, a, you know, a for effort, but if not you know, not what, entire, you're, yeah, not if you know what you're talking about, yeah. it, it comes across weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I don't speak Lakota, so I wouldn't have picked up on something sure. like that. Uh, and, but, uh, the the Sioux Nation made Kevin Costner an honorary member, yeah, uh, because of this movie, uh, because of its sensitive portrayal of Native people, which wasn't something that happened in movies a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, to to this day, it's actually pretty highly regarded uh, in in a lot of Native communities, according to what I have read. Yeah, and of course, uh, that's that's not a unilateral uh, no, no, uh, take, I'm, and you'll find a lot of people who yeah. have written quite negatively mm-hmm. about. Uh, the way that this movie purports to be more complicated, but is still languishing in a lot of uh, simplified archetypes. Yeah, yeah. Especially now, uh, where, yeah. where a lot of nuance has been brought into a, a lot more movie character. Like movies have evolved, yes. And so and those those, those yeah. types of characters now seem a lot more archetypal to our modern eye. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, hmm. Sherman Alexie came to my uh, my college campus when I was you know in the late nineties, cool. uh, and this was shortly before the movie Smoke Signals came out. That's based yeah. on a book of his, and uh, how he was trying to kind of blow the lid off of uh, any kind of depiction of Indian characters. And I use the word Indian because Sherman Alexie says that's the appropriate term. Yeah, that's the term uh, that that's the term that Sherman he, that he, heard, that he yeah. uses. Yeah. He uh, he says that's the term used on the res where he grew up, and he wrote a story about. Res modern res life and how just utterly fucking boring it is. Yeah, like the, if you see the movie Smoke Signals, like there it opens with like a radio broadcast. We're gonna go out to the traffic report. What's going on out there? And we cut to a guy like sitting in a lawn chair on the roof of a van. Well, a car went by like a couple hours ago. <laughs> like that's yeah. the traffic report. This is how yeah. boring it is. I saw the movie when it came out. It's really good, but I haven't seen it in a long yeah, time. It's, yeah, it, it, Smoke Signals is is really quite a good movie. Yeah, uh, and. Confronts a, a lot of uh, cinema's depiction of uh, Indian people, uh, and and how that has sort of informed a lot of Americans' view as mm-hmm. to what Indians are like. And Sherman yeah. Alexie is saying, "No, we just live on board. We're, we're bored most of the time. Yeah, and there are weird people here too." I want to I want to address the elephant in the room here, which mm-hmm. is that neither you nor I are mm-hmm. Native American, Indian, First Nation. Would mm-hmm. uh, and we apologize for using the wrong term. You know, if, if it, we if it, we have uh, yeah. any First Nation listeners, I'd love to hear from you. That's what I was about uh, yeah. to say. If anyone listening here hmm. is First Nation uh, and uh, or or Native American or Indian, whatever you whatever you prefer to be called, 
uh, please write in. Mm. Uh, especially if you've seen Dances with Wolves. If, even if you haven't, you just want to talk about what the general attitude about the film is. That would be really valuable, and we would really love to hear your experience on it because we can't offer that. Uh, but if you've seen the film and you do have opinions on it, strong or, or even ambivalent, that would be useful to know. Um, I would love to hear about it because a lot of the reading that I've done uh, about Dances with Wolves, the critical analysis of Dances with Wolves, is not very contemporary. Yeah, uh, and I would love this from the time, and it was yeah. it was loved at the time. But yeah, at the time, and 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 it was criticized at the time as well. But like, it was mostly loved, and I would really, really like to hear some contemporary takes on this if it feels like something you want to do. If you mm. if you haven't seen it, you want to give it a watch or whatever, we would love to hear that. But like, even if you just saw it a few years ago and just wanted to share your take, yeah. please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, we might read your email on an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. We'll certainly be looking out for uh, letters for this on this topic because I think this is really important. I do not want to... I want to yield the floor mm. as much as we can. We're talking about this movie cinematically. We're talking about some things that work on it. We're talking about some things that are critical about it. But we cannot speak from this personal part of experience. What we can speak of, uh, it, for whatever it's worth, is, you know... I do appreciate that Kevin Costner, who, uh, as much or more than us, probably because he's older than us, um, was probably raised in a a, a time when Americana suggested that colonialism, Manifest Destiny, was still a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Because that was the pitch. You know, we're going to like, we're going to, we're going to get all the way across the end of the continent and it's going to be great and everything's going to get fixed and don't. Pay attention to literally all of the facts that completely torpedo this concept and make us out to be some of history's greatest monsters as a result of this. Just yeah. uh, just trust us. It's fine. And Ke- and Kevin Costner doesn't subscribe to that. And I did respond to that. And that part, I think, comes across uh, rather well. This is not, if, if you ask me, mm. Kevin Costner's best Western. Uh Dance with Wolves is is you know a handsome production. Mm. Uh, he's directed three movies. He did Dance with Wolves, The Postman, which is it's a post apocalypse movie. It's a post apocalypse. It's also a western, but it's a post apocalyptic western, uh, and that is one of the most shockingly misguided <laughs> like sci fi <laughs> epics I've ever seen in my life. It's and also three hours in length. It's yeah. also three hours in length, but this time, whereas it felt like in Dance with Wolves, Kevin Costner was very happy to take the piss out of himself. Uh, here he's just pouring the piss right back in. He's just there's he's constantly every shot is about the greatness of Kevin Costner. It does well, not work. It's hilarious to watch that film. I think it's because uh, Dances with Wolves is about uh, a man who longs for peace and finds it uh, finds it outside of himself. Yeah, he finds it in in the country where he's living. Yeah. Uh, the Postman is also about a peaceful man who longs for peace, and everybody is, you know, is surrounded by warmongers, represented by uh, uh, Will Patton in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but they're not to be changed, and there's no peace mm. to be found out there in the world. The world is already, like, it's post-apocalyptic, yeah. so he's kind of arguing that the whole world is now corrupted, mm. except for him. It, you know, it never I reached argue, him. I would argue, I would argue, I think you might be, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, I think you might be misremembering the beginning of that movie, because my memory of that movie is he starts off that movie as more of an opportunist. Mm. who only like pretends to be a mailman because it gets him free food and then he just keeps the lie going and going and going until he ends up having to actually act the role of the hero he pretended to be which oh. is actually an interesting pitch 
Oh. But I don't think the movie handles it very well. But I digress. There's the whole thing boils down to Tom Petty telling Kevin Costner he's more famous than Tom Petty. That's an actual scene that happens in the movie. Tom Petty plays himself. It's absurd. Uh, but I digress. No, I actually think Kevin Costner's best western is the other movie he directed, Open Range, mm. uh, which uh, stars uh, Costner and Robert Duvall and Annette Bening and Michael Gambon. And I haven't seen Open Range. It's really quite good. Uh, they just play uh, these two. Um, uh, uh, they play. They play. Uh, Costner and Duvall play open range cattlemen, and they uh, run afoul of Michael Gambon, who's, uh, you know, not open range. He's trying to like protect his own land and everything like that, and it becomes this increasingly escalating a uh, bit of tension. Really sweet romance between Costner and Benning, and it ends with a really great and totally earned shootout. Like, okay. it's, it's not an action movie. It's like maybe mm. one action bit in the middle, but it ends mm. in a shootout that is really fucking epic, and it really works. Uh, if you haven't seen Open Range, I, I do recommend it. I think it's a very underappreciated film. Totally worth checking out. There you go. Uh, but Dances with Wolves. I hadn't seen this movie since it came out. Like, we rented it shortly after it came out. I didn't see this one in theaters. Hmm. Uh, I remembered parts of it quite vividly. I had also forgotten quite a bit of it. Um, yeah, I, there's a lot in this movie that is impressive. There's also admirable even a lot that's that's even admirable. There's also a lot that is uh, naive and dated in its even even in its attempt to be progressive. It that that is now parts of it are now dated. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and a lot of conversations can be had about what it does right and what it does wrong. And I again, we want to yield the floor. So once again, please email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. Uh, but it was not a complete wash. It is also, however, not as good as Goodfellas. <laughs> Come on, come on! They're very different movies. Of course they uh, are. Uh, they're they are both movies, however, about um, how violence erodes the soul, aren't true. they? Um, That's true. That's true. Uh, Goodfellas is about a guy who always wants to be a gangster, and it you know just shows his entire life. Yeah. Uh, once he gets to the cocaine, everything falls apart. He's now he's violent, and he's addicted to cocaine, and and, and he's and he's lost his faculties. He can't yeah, even be yeah. like responsible about it. Yeah. Um, uh, I. I appreciated Dances with Wolves. I I expected something very maudlin, and it is. uh, But I appreciated uh, its its views of violence and war. I appreciated uh, its... Not its pastoral qualities, just its calming qualities. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does feel very placid. It feels very... very, meditative in Mm -hmm. in certain stretches. Not in that Terrence Malick sort of way, just Mm. uh, he's trying to sort of... slow down the pace of adventure film. So we have this three hour film. We're actually getting to sort of explore every moment a a, a little bit more. And I appreciate that. Um, I I don't like the war scene, the Mm -hmm. the war with the Pawnee at the end. Yeah. Uh, Well, the the end of the the first, the the end of the second act. Um, Yeah. Like that, that seems kind of antithetical to what he was sort of going for. I understand yeah. the idea is, oh, he's found something he's going to fight for. Isn't the whole point not to fight? I here? agree. The whole sequence feels really yeah. hypocritical. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't care for mm. it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and that's, I think it's very, very fair. Um, but in any case, that is it for critically reclaimed this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next time, uh, and we'll be heading into the uh, uh, ruthless and unforgiving. Wilds of Ovid. Uh, Ovid. Call it ruthless and unforgiving. Ovid this, this, is, is, this place is a warm hug I, for me. I, 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 I jest because Whitney loves it so. <laughs> Ovid, uh, O O V I D, like the author, uh, uh, 
Ovid is a streaming service for people who think critic uh, people who think the Criterion Collection is too mainstream. <laughs> uh, it's got a lot of you know serious art house credibility, a lot of international features that are not available anywhere else. Uh, and uh, we, we are, the poll is already up because this episode is late. Might be too late for you to vote on it by the time you listen, mm. but uh, check in. It might, it might not. Uh, the options are the movie Fresh Kill from director uh, Shu Lia Chang, uh, which is uh, about uh, two lesbian parents who are fighting against environmental racism uh, that takes the form of a radioactive landscape. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of a sci-fi uh, art house thriller. Um, sci-fi art house lesbian thriller. That's a good pitch. Uh, we've got a silent Shakespeare, which is actually a collection of the earliest Shakespeare adaptations. Uh, these were the, the silent film era. Yeah, like from like 1905. Like we're looking at the very like the earliest ever known adaptations of Shakespeare. But also these are silent movies. They were Shakespeare back when you couldn't rely on the language. Mm. So it's a really interesting, potentially interesting deep dive into the history of cinema and also the history of Shakespeare. Two things we're both very fond of. Uh, the film, uh, another film, uh, Till Madness Do Us Part, uh, which is a documentary about uh, a mental institution in China uh, where the patients are confined to one floor of a building and then just left to their devices. Yep. And then lastly, an anime film called Tatsumi, uh, which is a biopic of Yoshihiro Tatsumi, uh, who is a very influential manga artist, I'm sorry, manga artist, uh, uh, and uh, it sort of combines a biopic of the author and the illustrator uh, with their work, adaptations of their work. So uh, you, we will do one of those on the next episode of Critically Reclaimed. Uh, Ovid is very interesting, isn't that's it? A, that's an interesting cross-section of films. Those are very different movies all There's, around. There, it's, it's full of all kinds of interesting stuff. And uh, and, and this was a suggestion, of course, by uh, one of our listeners, B. Peterson, who's also my co-host over on the All About Ovid podcast. Yeah, if you if you can't wait that long like for us to talk about a, a movie on Ovid, uh, go and head on over to uh, the screen's margins mm. uh, and uh, the podcast All About Ovid, uh, which all is all O's, yeah. it's all about Ovid, but it's spelled with all the first letters are O, which, why? Why did you do that? Uh, but in any case, <laughs> Whitney and B. Peterson talk about the films that they watch on Ovid. Uh, it's currently weekly, but it will be moving to monthly. But regardless, mm. please check them out. It's a great show. Uh, we also have a lot of other shows here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. Hope you're enjoying them. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. You can also head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, every single tier allows you to vote for future episodes of Critically Reclaimed. Uh, and every single tier also has exclusive content as well. So we mm -hmm. have our podcast, Holy Batman. We review every single episode of 1960s Batman. We've got Only the Best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Yes, we will get to Dances with Wolves, but it's going to be a few years before we do. So, so we didn't feel too bad about jumping ahead. <laughs> um, we've got uh, All Our Yesterdays. We're reviewing every single episode of Star Trek. We've got commentary tracks. Uh, we got our next online hangout uh, just a little later this week. Mm -hmm. uh, so please check us out. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Uh, thank you to everyone who is currently a patron. We couldn't do any of our shows without you. We're incredibly grateful to you. And if you can't afford to do so... There are other ways to help out the show. Subscribe, leave us a review if you haven't already. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. We're at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, and uh, that is the end of this episode of Critically Reclaimed, the podcast. It's over now. Goodbye. <laughs>
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.